And welcome back to Fully Equipped. The whole crew is here this week. Big surprise. It's been a little while since we've gotten the whole crew together. RB, Mr. Robot, Serial Killer. How are we doing, boys? It's good to see your smiling faces. Gene was in Scotland. Serial Killer had COVID. Had RB, COVID. You and I, it, it, feels like it, was a, it feels like it was a lifetime ago, and you and I were just in Scottsdale together last week. But just checking in. How are we doing? Yeah, you guys come to Scottsdale, and you come to Scottsdale the week that I decide to get the vid. Zero the Rona. Star. Yeah, the Rona. <laughs> Don't recommend. Zero stars. Absolutely suck. I came to Scottsdale and got pizza. You got pizza? I, I saw that. You got. <laughs> you finally were able to check that off the list. How was it? Did it leave up? Did it live up to the hype? It was good. It was really good. Yeah. Um, you know, the big was this thing, the bougie? Was this the bougie place? The the one that that was on the uh, Netflix special? Yeah, it was episode one, uh, Pizza Bianco. Yeah. So yeah, I had I've been it's trying to get there, and we uh we finished wrapping our our lives. If anyone who hadn't checked that out, thanks for those who did tune in and might be listening again. But we did our we wrapped up our live. I had a little bit of extra time, so I did what any any Canadian tourist does in the United States. I went to Trader Joe's. Uh, I packed my luggage full of cookies and all kinds of other things that I could pack in my carry-on that I, I can't get here. And uh, then I went to get pizza, hung out, and then uh, just uh, you know waited waited a little while at the airport to get my flight home, my red eye. So uh, all in all, it was it was a great trip, and uh, you know the pizza was was delicious. They nailed they nailed a crust. That's the thing. It, you know you can make or break a pizza with crust, but uh, they they definitely they know what they're doing. So How many, out, of, out of ten fair rolls. Out of, out of 10 multicolored ferals, what do you give it? Oh, it was a 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10 yeah. multicolored ferals. It's a All style. Right. The thing is, though, like it's a style of pizza, right? Like, the, uh, a, like oh, you can call it, I think it's like a, a Neapolitan, not quite Neapolitan, but like a Neapolitan style pizza. It's really thin crust with cheese and sauce on it. It's a, it's a margarita pizza. So, like, Super it's one great. of those things where it's kind of like a forged blade, right? A forged blade's kind of all look the same. But, you know, the little details are kind of what makes or breaks. It's like, you know, it's a good one or a bad one. Has a look from a dress. This one kind of hits all the points really good. So uh, uh, highly ranked on the on the feral scales, but that way. All right, Mr. Robot, how was your trip to Scotland? It was good. It was good. Uh, get, get, can get into the RNA stuff, but uh, I flew in, uh, spent two days in Edinburgh, drove up to... Um, St. Andrews with the RNA. And then afterwards I hiked Hadrian's wall for three days. And you these crazy hikes. This one, this one was, or is a cool one. Uh, for all of you game of Thrones fans out there, the wall in the North was patterned after an actual wall, Hadrian's wall. Hadrian was an emperor in 122 AD, and he basically decided that he couldn't conquer the northern tribes of what's now modern Scotland. So he built a wall the entire width of England, 15 feet high by 8 feet wide. And every mile, there are these forts where they housed a thousand Roman soldiers. And for the next 400 years, the country was walled off from one side to the other. And wow. it's so cool because you're hiking these rolling and you're going to like uh, Scotland and England have this thing called the right to roam where you can walk anywhere. You can walk in someone's backyard. There's 
literally, literally no such thing as trespassing. So, but you're walking through people's farms as you do this because the wall and the section I did the 30 miles, I'd say the wall was on maybe 22 of the miles. It, it doesn't extend like, you know, after 400 AD, a lot of people ripped it down and built homes with it, et cetera, et cetera. But there's really solid sections. And then you can see the outlines of every quarter mile, they'd have a fort that would house two or three soldiers. And then every mile would be one of these big bases. And you can see those, you can see the Roman bass. It was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty <clears throat> epic hike. So where do you stay along the way? Uh, stay, uh, so I did 30 miles. I did about 10 miles a day and I'd go from bed and breakfast to bed and breakfast. So I just go very That's civilized, awesome. roll in, did have one insane story, uh, checked into a bed and breakfast. They notified me that it was closing the next day for good. And that it had, um, it had take what you want open, when you leave. <laughs> it had been open since the 1600s. So they said it's going to get a little rowdy in here tonight because this oh and this is a bustling village of two hundred people, and so I go down for dinner and I'm like I've got an eight a.m. hike you know I've just done two ten mile stretches so I'm pretty tired all I want to do is eat my dinner have my glass of wine and go up to bed seven o'clock yeah, right, seven thirty local comes sir would would you care to join us at the next table we've been informed that you're the last traveler. And I said, thank you. I'm good. But, um, you know, I'm going to pass 30 minutes later, the whole table gets up, sir, you're the last traveler. It's really important that you sit and celebrate with us. I roll over, I sit, the whiskey starts flowing. Next thing I know it's four 30 in the morning and they're trying to hard sell me on buying the inn and owning it. And they're like, think you're an American. You can afford this. You can own this in. And I'm looking at him. I'm so drunk and out of my mind. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. And I don't want to buy your stupid in. Oh my God. And I'm I surprised you didn't, the- you didn't agree to it. I, we were watching my <laughs> wife and I are watching, uh, Veep here recently. Yep. I just, yep. just, we loved that show. And one of the episodes, uh, Selena is, is hopped up on, on some drugs and it's like a mixture in, and she agrees to buy Mike's boat. And he's been like trying to sell this thing. It's just a total albatross around his neck. But, you know, she agrees to buy it. He's so excited. And I could almost see you in a situation like that. You're just absolutely three sheets of the wind. And oh, they're going to they're gonna sell I, I you this sell you on this in you're going to end up owning this thing i would have agreed to it if i wouldn't have been staying there and had to see them in the three hours at breakfast if i would have just anything to get me out of the situation (laughs) because they were like hard selling me and then i'd turn around and another glass of whiskey would come and someone else would sit down next to me telling me how great it would be for me to own this in and i'm just like whoa did not see this happen and so then eight o'clock rolls around after about three hours of eh, I don't know if you'd really call it sleep and it's raining and 50 degrees. <laughs> I got to put on my stuff and start hiking. And I'm like, I'm getting on the trail and I'm like, yep, I'm going to chalk this one up to a bad life decision. There's just no two ways about it. That's the only way that I can explain this away. So, but yeah, other than that, it was, it was a great trip. Amazing. You actually got some work done though with the RNA, correct? 
Yes. Do you, do you yes. just go over and check the robots or, or what, do you, so what do you do? We, we, we do a multitude um, of things. We, or I do um, I go over, you know, they've got two machines. It's interesting. They've taken over the lion's share of ball testing from the USGA. So they're doing uh, a lot some interesting of testing, a lot going on, a lot yeah. of chatter about the golf balls. Well, this is just their, their annual or their monthly conformance testing. So when you submit a golf ball, they, you know, to make sure that it, it passes the spec, but they also have a research and development unit. And, you know, they didn't tell me anything proprietary, but it was really interesting talking to them. I, I, I actually don't envy them. They're in a really challenging position and they have to try to thread the needle. And the needle is they're, looking to try to limit distance from the elite players in the world, but do so without affecting amateur golfers, you know, that, that are non-elite players. And it's, it's a real challenge and it's a challenge that's been laid out, you know, by one set of rules and this kind of defining standard that we all go by. And I did, you know, I did tease them a little bit about their release, you know, this year. And I said, Man, that smells like bifurcation to me. And, you know, they wouldn't take the bait on that one. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty tight lipped as to what they're doing. But I will say they're very, very thorough. And more importantly, um, they understand all the costs and benefits of any sort of um, limitations on equipment, i.e., making a golf ball shorter making a club more difficult, you know, to hit. Um, and, and they understand how challenging it is. So it's, um, you know, they've got their work cut out for them if they decide to do anything other than business as usual right now. I think it's easy. Next- I don't understand. I know this is like, you know, we're going to say we're going to talk. It's like, look, just make the golf ball go shorter for everybody. And amateur golfers move up a tee deck. How freaking hard is that? It's so simple. It's right there in front of you. You want to hit? How do you? How do you? How do you? How do you make it go um, shorter? Uh, either <clears throat> I guess you can make it make it lighter, or you change the like the spin differential, right? Like the the height of like you know modern golf ball now can can off less loft, right? You can get it to spin less. Um, whereas if you can actually just raise that level, so like you know it's harder to create that super low spin where you can't hit that high towering, you know, knuckling fade, but, or you could, but it's a lot harder, right? You need, you know, you need my stupid swing parameters, but the ability to actually, and then just make it curve more, right? Like you can do it with aerodynamics. Again, I don't understand how to do it with aerodynamics, but I feel like there's an aerodynamic principle there. And then just have people move up a T-deck. That's the thing I don't get is like, there's this whole yardage, but you won't take this, like people are, I know this is not a visual medium, but they're standing there with Charlton Heston with their, their 460cc drivers. And like, you can't pry this distance from my cold dead hands. And I'm like, 10% distance lost off, off 220 yards is, is 20 yards, guys. Like, give it a rest. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. Well, and I, I, mean, I, here, and I move here, up a tee deck. I play with old equipment. I play with spinny golf balls. Like, I don't understand where there's like this, there's this <clears> thing where it's like, I need to play this. Like, you go play softball with ego. your buddies. You're not using, you're not using a, a wooden bat. Like, what's the point? Well, there's here's, this, here's all the ego. Bifurcate it. 
Yeah, but here bifurcating, I'm I'm all for. But if if you do it under one set of rules, here's the challenge. And and you know, the golf ball is a classic example. You most likely in that scenario are going to really define the low spinning hitters as the ones who benefit the most from that. The guys who play the power fade are going to have to readjust their games because the ball's just going to flare on them. And suddenly their control game is going to change. And so in, in creating uh, a higher spinning golf ball, basically, you kind of are defining swing styles that are going to benefit and are not versus now at least, uh, you know, the elite players have the ability to choose which type of golf ball that they want to play based upon their swing style. They really won't have that option if the ball starts spinning more. And so, you know, once again, you're, you're, you're adjusting the playing field and you're not necessarily adjusting it equally. And that is the challenge is how do you do so equally, um, you know, in order to create the same kind of performance characteristics that elite players have now guys that hit the high draw versus the power fade guys that like to work the ball versus hitting it straight. You don't want to create a benefit or an advantage for one type of player versus another specifically based on a uh, limitation of equipment. My, 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 not my argument. Cause I just, I do think it's an interesting topic, but it's, and then no, again, this is not what we expected to talk about today. We got, we got hot takes on drivers and inexpensive <laughs> value price stuff here but I was gonna say, this um, isn't even the hottest topic so the one continue. thing would be like you know someone like kenny perry only started winning when the multi-piece golf ball came in you know big high draw his spin axis changed because he had a less spinny golf ball next thing you know this guy rattles off i don't know 12 wins in the 2000s and before that he was kind of a bit of a journeyman which is i mean all credit to him i mean i not not saying kenny perry is not a great player but you see how the advancements in certain types of equipment benefited that person versus someone else. So again, I, I think it's a, I think it's going to be a very debatable topic over the next couple of years to see what happens. Um, but uh, no, it's, in, I, it's interesting that they're looking at it. And I think that to me is probably the most important thing. Okay. Let's, let's just look at the next 10 years. We don't know what's coming. I mean, I've, I've just been, I've loved sitting here listening to you guys go back and forth on this, but what do we think? In the next 10 years, do we see uh, a tour ball for the tour pros and a ball for the amateurs or do things stay the same? I think there has to be bifurcation. I mean, just hands down, there's, there's no simple way. And you know, the other, the other potential, and I don't quite understand it from a manufacturing standpoint, but to, um, to, to Arby's point, if maybe it's something to do with limiting uh, multi-material uh, golf balls. In other words, going back to say one type of core, and maybe that core doesn't have the same kind of uh, COR values to it, so that you can still have a spin range, but you're you know instead of a one four nine or one point five max, maybe you're down to a one four four or something like that. But but able to generate similar spin profiles that that may be uh, you know one possible solution. The problem with it is, and you know 
it, it pertains to this podcast and what we talk about, the industry drives itself based on sales, on success on the tour. And if the balls that the guys are playing on the tour are not the same balls that um, we play with, then you start to get some serious issues there as far as how golf equipment's going to be marketed and some serious pushback from the OEMs because that's their proven business model. Yeah. I think if you're going to just go the bifurcation route. Chris is just sitting there playing the playing the man on the fence. Is he playing the man on the fence? I want to know. I want Chris's take. He I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> if, if I'm going to uh, throw my hat in the ring here, it's, it's always interesting from – and especially my perspective as somebody that is, for lack of a better description, kind of an arms dealer. And it is always an arms race when we have guys that come in. They're always looking for more distance. They're looking for more height. They're looking for more consistency, looking for more control. And without fail, you get a couple of the, the top players at a club. You get uh, the best player in a men's group or something like that, and you start to show them some gains, then it's a domino effect of now somebody that used to hit him by at 10 yards that's now getting outdriven. He comes in, and then his buddies come in, and then his buddies come in, and his buddies come in. So, I mean, from a monetary perspective and from my business model, I don't want to see anything dialed back. I don't want to see anything limited. And from just a consumer standpoint, as somebody that consumes golf content, I live for those <clears throat> those hero shots, those shots that I don't have a, a chance in hell of pulling off myself. I'm not going to hit a 300 forced carry over water into a, a dogleg par four around a lake. I'm not going to hit that shot. But I mean, I tip my hat to somebody that can pull that off. I like watching that. Now, I don't want to turn in or tune into the, the PGA Tour or you know, watch a live event, watch guys hitting it you know, 280. It's like, I can do that. Why is that entertaining? No, I just say, let them run with it. Hit the 350-yard drives. I don't care. Now, here's a question from a fitting perspective, and this is where I think you know it, it gets really interesting because you know I've seen this in the past, uh, which I want to ask you is like when you get lower-speed players – with irons and we're starting to see companies now like you know mizuno just did it with the hot metal high launch right mm -hmm. like right iron by are, the way companies are building more spin back into the design of the irons because the golf ball doesn't spin enough for the average player anyways who's at that lower end of the spin speed spectrum so why don't they just make a golf ball that spins a little bit more and that's that's the argument because i would say 99 or 98 percent of the golfers that play golf need the height and need the spin versus versus with an iron versus something that's just going to not spin at all. And you know, that's where, again, why like you're, you're changing all of these club designs and you just offer one option and that is a different golf ball. So, you know, you can make loft stronger. Who cares? Who cares if a seven iron is 20 freaking degrees? I don't care what numbers on the bottom. It doesn't matter. It's just a loft. But if you sure. can, if it, if like you're looking at different, sets of golf clubs or things the one parameter that you can change for everything is the golf ball and that's why again i think just from a again i don't work for an oem i just talk about them and i've worked in the arms i've worked in the arms dealing business uh, but even at that point I, I still think that 
you know, when for long-term sustainability of, of golf as a whole, you can't build, you know, I know they're not, they're not really building a lot of 8,000 yard golf courses. Let's be honest. Like that's, that's kind of a dumb take, but you know, the, the sustainability of water and land and all of these things, the game has to get, you know, more sustainable. And I just, you know, you, Chris, you, you, we've been out in Arizona, you know, there's, there's golf courses in the, middle of the desert that aren't really naturally supposed to be there. So right. you've got all these things kind of adding up and it's, you know, one way to you know help shrink that 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 footprint is uh, you know make the game just a little bit smaller. Yeah, you know you bring up an interesting point though, RB, and it's 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 a different game with an eight iron in your hand than it is a driver in your hand, and that's the problem with you know making a golf ball spinnier is everybody wants to maximize every yard off of the uh, tee, but with an eight iron they want more control. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's where the multi-core golf ball really was revolutionary, was all Titleist did was they took a tour bolada and turned it into a pinnacle. Now, I'm exaggerating because, you know, it, it didn't have, you know, an, a Pro V1 doesn't have the spin of a, of a tour bolada and it and it's, doesn't have the low spin off the driver that a pinnacle has. But they were man- they managed to make something close that resembled both of those from a driver and a, and a, and a, a wedge standpoint. And um, if you're going to, you know, change a golf ball, for example, and make a golf ball that's that's that spins more, chances are that golf ball is going to be shorter off the tee. And that's just you know, especially yeah. with slower swinging players. And we all know driving the ball that's the chocolate cake of this scheme and everybody wants their chocolate cake and and you know to chris's point they're going to come in and go this golf ball sucks it, it you know yeah i'm i'm three shots better around <laughs> scoring but i want my old ball back that i can hit it 10 yards further i mean that's it that's that's the hero shot we we look at the metrics every year and it's driver fitting driver fitting driver fitting driver fitting now, all of us on this podcast know that as far as restrictions go from the USGA, the RNA, the governing bodies, a golf ball can physically only leave the face so fast in relationship to clubhead speed. But these companies spend so much money in R&D and marketing that the general public and our consumers continue to come in chasing distance and looking for the latest and greatest tech that's going to allow them to be more consistent off the tee, longer off the tee. And I mean, wouldn't you know it, the lowest percentage of fittings are putters and wedges. Now it's like where it really matters in the game to play better golf and shave more strokes off of your index is inside of that hundred yard scope. But that is the lowest percentage of fittings that we do throughout the company. It's the most neglected part of the game when it comes to what the, the manufacturers put into R&D and marketing. It's because everybody wants to hit that 300-yard drive. Everybody wants to hit that hero shot. And, I mean, be damned with everything else. I'll figure it out if it's close enough. Right. So interesting. This, I would say, Jonathan, I, you, I think we could move on to this, this topic is we just watched a fitting at Ping HQ, and we touched on it a little bit last week, where – one of our own staff writers, his lo- his longest or sorry, his shortest wedge was his pitching wedge. <laughs> wow! Nick, and the fitter worked with him and said, 
you know, why is the, why is it that like, why do you only have this, this high lofted wedge? You had like, I, Jonathan, you remember, it was some like weird random sandwich, wasn't it? Do you remember the name of it that you didn't really use? Oh, please tell me it was an alien wedge. Wait, wait who? Me? Nick, Nick, no, oh, Nick, 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 Nick had, Nick had a pitching wedge. But he had some weird, like, no-name, store-branded, like, yeah, sandwich I mean, that he I, said he didn't even use. Yeah. Yeah. It was... It's in there for profiling purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty pretty much. Yeah, but it was it was, a, it was a random pitching wedge. It was amazing to watch his ability to hit different shots as soon as he got different wedge lofts in his hand and said, you know, you just grip the golf club in the same spot. You don't have to grip three inches down or two inches down on the steel to try and hit a 60-yard pitch. And... I am, you know, as part of our club test, I am beyond excited to see like where this goes for Nick because he gained distance with the driver. He gained a lot with throughout his bag, but in his wedges, exactly to your point, Chris, this is where I want to, I'm so excited for him to get to the golf course and start writing about and experiencing like what it's like to have (laughs) three wedges beyond his pitching wedge for the first time in how long. Yeah, it's It's, it is crazy. The, you know, his, his bag setups, what I would expect, uh, you know, a mid handicapper who plays semi-regularly knows just enough about gear to be dangerous. His setup was perfect for, for player testing this year and working with ping. Um, uh, last thought though, on the golf ball, I think if you're good, if you're going to do bifurcation, I, I would go and make the, make it a very wide gap, have a tour ball that goes shorter have an have a amateur ball that goes further than the current stuff and just give people that option like you you want you want more distance here's your golf ball you want to play with the pros play you're giving up even more distance you can play that ball and just leave it at that let him go nuclear with an aluminum bat who cares pretty much yeah care. it's just like I don't let's, care. yeah let's let's really let's really really widen the gap then there there are no questions you've you've got the really the ball that goes a, you know, country mile and you got the tour ball. There you go. Well, and, um, and, and, and in fairness to that too, you know, the thing that people don't realize about distance is when a golf ball is going further, it's not only going further straight, it's going further right and left when you yep. miss it. it and, right. Exactly. And, but like, give them that option. If they want more distance, yeah. more distance is gonna, is gonna come with, you know, you're gonna have to be more accurate. Yep. So, and it's let, a risk just, reward. Yeah, yeah, risk reward. Exactly. But I, like I said, I, I would like the gap to be to be wide, so you, you can you can really tell which balls which. Anyway, all right. Well, that was a a rabbit hole that I didn't expect that we'd go down, but it was a good one. I really enjoyed the banter. Um, speaking of banter, RB, you and I had a lot of fun last week when we were in town. We had on last week's pod discussed our trip to Ping, but we also had a chance to do a fully equipped live Zoom. Hopefully, uh, some of you, we, we had a, we had a decent crew for the first fully equipped live zoom. It was great. Answer some questions, talk some gear, a little bit about the club test process. I thought it was fun. What'd you think? I thought it was great. And, you know, on that topic, I think there's one, one of the most important questions that came up from the, from the Q and a, and I need to, I want to ask Chris and Gene this really quickly. Um, don't need to elaborate too, too much, but like in theory, who would win in a fight? A gorilla or a bull shark in three feet of water. <laughs> three feet of brackish water. Brackish right, water. Who who do you think is gonna win that fight? Because that was I think that was one of our best questions. 
Bull shark. Bull oh, sharks yeah. are nasty, nasty critters. And the gorilla would never see it coming, get its leg ripped out from underneath it. Once you're in the water, you're in its territory. You're done. Bull shark can swim, bite, swim around gorillas. Gorillas got its overall strength and some biting capabilities, but nothing like the strength of a bull shark. So that was easy. Interesting justification. RB and I went gorilla. (laughs) I took the gorilla. Dexterity only for the point of dexterity. I that was yeah. that was my initial thought. Gene makes a good argument. I mean, Gene comes in with yeah, with too it's much hard to logic. Argue with Gene now, <coughs> yeah, <laughs> Mr. I mean, California. <laughs> he probably has encountered a, a bull shark or two in his lifetime. No, nah, bull, bull sharks are bull sharks. Bull sharks are they they um, they don't like the cold waters of the Pacific. So fortunately, never run across a bull shark before, but. They, I, I had a son, or I have a son, but when he was had a, a son, preteen, when, a when he was story, when, here we go. When he was a preteen, obsessed with Shark Week every year, and so I watched a lot of Shark Week, and so I, uh, I gained a profound appreciation. The bull shark is the only shark I believe that can swim not only in salt water but fresh water. So nasty, they can go from the ocean. And then swim up, uh, you know, freshwater stream and chomp your leg there. So yeah, they're they're nasty critters. Yeah. And they'll yeah. bite you for spite too. They don't bite you because they're hungry. That's the other thing. They're mean. They're just really nasty. All right. Well, oh, fair enough. Before we get into what I thought was the hottest topic of this week's episode, I do want to let you know that. Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Fairway Jockey. We talk about custom clubs all the time on the pod, and we're often asked, where's the best place to buy custom clubs? For us, the answer is easy because only one place offers the lowest prices on custom-built clubs, and that's fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework. No one beats their prices, and you'll save up to 15%. And when you're talking about a bigger ticket purchase like golf clubs, that can add up to big savings. Build your custom set today at fairwayjockey.com. All right, so RB sends me a Slack, and it's a launch monitor. It's a four-side GC quad. You can see the numbers. And it says uh, right above the image, for $219, the PXG 0211 driver (coughs) is officially the best bang for your buck club on the planet. I think that's a hot take. Didn't I? That's, didn't I? Ju- didn't I just bring that up at the end of uh, fully equipped two weeks ago when I was last we talking about pricing, PXG pricing. Yeah, and how they're just insanely slashing their prices in com- in comparison to the competition. Yeah, I guess I mean, when the you've O2, got one the O2 eleven was that. was new for for this year. It started at 300 bucks, but now you can buy it for 219. But if you look at PXG's website, I'm there right now. I mean, the 0311 Gen 5 driver started as at 499 and it's already down to 299. I mean, they are, of all the OEMs out there, nobody is more aggressive with the pricing than PXG. I mean, they're, they're going for, we, we talked about it initially on the last pod. When there were four of us because the last few has only been a couple of us, but 
Yeah, it's it. They're going after the the other big guys. They're they're going in with, hey, our products are really good and they're also really cheap in comparison to you know the five hundred plus dollar drivers out on the market. It's a bold I, strategy, I, Cotton. I also think that like they're they're taking direct aim at all the other direct to consumer manufacturers. I think from a branding perspective, a lot of the big companies have. I would say whether it is or not, like they have a lot of brand, obviously awareness, but um, what's the word? Um, like support from consumers like that are loyal to those brand loyalty. That's the word. I don't know why I blanked on loyalty there. Um, but they have, there's a lot of brand loyalty that companies, people are looking towards those companies. And, you know, it's hard, it's harder, you know, you spend 10 times as much money from like a marketing perspective, you had 10 times as much money to get a new customer as you would to retain a current one. So from that perspective, I think PXG is looking at completely new consumers for those who are, you know, looking at a lot of direct to consumer companies and saying like, Oh, we can get a set of irons for seven, $800. And people are like, I don't really like know this brand. I don't know. Like maybe there's one guy on tour that uses them or something like that. And they've got, you know, this is our stable of tour players on the PGA tour, LPGA tour. These are the people behind it. They've got, you know, a very nicely done expensive website full of all kinds of, of like pictures and videos and, and just from an awareness perspective, PXG, you know, just being frank, like they kill every other like direct to consumer company. I know I showed up, like I said, I tested it uh, today quickly and I was at the range and some people were like, oh, it's PXG. Like, don't they have a less expensive driver now? And like, you're like, holy crap. Like, I don't know this. Like, I don't know where this person consumes golf news, but like, I'm great that they've got it from somewhere, hopefully from us. But to see that, I mean, I think they're, and to having hit it. I'm like, okay, you're not really gaining anything. You're not really, sorry, you're not really losing anything here, right? Like, sure, you're going to gain. And I would say, like, it was a little spinnier than some other golf clubs on the bottom of the head. Like, that's fine. I get that. But, I mean, off the screws, that thing was good. <laughs> and off, like, I was missing a little bit on the toe. I was really impressed with it. And I think they've got, a, they are, they're doing something with, I don't know how, the, why or how they're pricing stuff. Again, they're, they're knocking out a middleman here by selling a lot of stuff online. But I think, uh, what they've got going is is really is really good, and I think they're headed in, in a direction where they're catching a lot of consumers' attention. I was shocked. I honestly, I don't see a lot of people like bring up golf club brands to me, but I was out on the range. I plunked the bag down, had a couple of head covers in there, and the PXG ones are obviously very large and say PXG on them. And someone's like, "Oh, is that one of the new ones that was like less expensive?" And I was like, "Where the heck? Like, you know, this is a public muni little golf course in the middle of nowhere where I live. Like, I'm surprised half the people have internet. <laughs> Maybe that's an exaggeration, but." it's like, it's just shocking that they have that amount of, they have that ability to spend and market and get people's attention. And to me, I think that is the, their biggest advantage. Because if you pull up to a lot of direct consumer brands, they're just going to go, who is that? Right. Why would I spend $300 on that or $250 on that driver? And I spent 200, the same amount of money on something that I know was from an app, like a big brand. Yeah. I have to give PXG a lot of credit because they, they've reinvented themselves completely. And when they first very came quickly in, too. when they, yeah, exactly. And very quickly, very if quickly. you think about, if you think about what they were when they first came into the marketplace, ultra high end, you know, that, that was their thing that their irons were, were more expensive per iron than any other manufacturer on the marketplace. And they boldly said, Hey, we may never come out with another, another set of irons. We may, we may come out with another set in five years, maybe 10 years, but 
we're not going to stick to the normal cadence of of other brands if it's better and then we'll bring it to market but we're not going to we're not going to force it and you went from wow the sticker shock to now all of a sudden it does feel like you know they are direct to consumer and they their prices feel very you know DTC-esque. they're much lower than anything else out there but Unlike a lot of the other DTCs, I mean, PXG is a, is a big brand. It's a known brand. It's not one of those brands that you have to be a gearhead to know. And so I think that's what gives them an edge is, you know, RB says it, he's at a local Muni. I mean, how, how long ago, I mean, you would have been shocked if somebody at your local Muni knew PXG. I mean, maybe the guys that followed gear, but, you know, you would never see PXG at a local Muni. And now no, I feel never. like seeing seeing PXG at your local at your local course is is common because the prices are so good. So yeah, they've completely reinvented themselves as as Chris said in a very short amount of time. And I think they're gonna I think they're gonna reap the rewards by having these lower prices. They're certainly gonna capture. I think it'll be tougher to capture the real diehard golfers, the ones that have been playing particular brands for a long time. But I think the golfers that are looking for something that's more reasonably priced, the newer golfers, I think they're going to be able to capture a lot of those players. And what's interesting to me, Jay Wall, if you go onto their website and you start kind of doing a little bit of searching around, now being here in Scottsdale, they're headquartered here. I mean, right up the road from you know where we have our shop set up. And every once in a while, I'll peruse some of the stores and <clears throat> just kind of go check out their studio spaces. And where they've positioned the pricing on the clubs, they have this whole new push uh, for apparel and for <clears throat> accessories and uh, soft goods. And you go in and you look at a pullover or a sweater or a jacket or you know, some of their like accessory bags and things. And those items are priced as much, if not more, in a lot of cases than the golf clubs are. And you go in and you look at a sweater and it's $299. And then to your point, you go over and you look at the driver and the driver's at 209 or 219 or 229, whatever it is that particular week. So it's, it's just interesting to me that where they got their start in hard goods, now the price point has transitioned so much that the direct-to-consumer model for the hard good has made it affordable for a lot of different players and a different demographic. Of, of consumer, but the soft goods and the accessories now are priced to the point of like designer name brand uh, clothing items and luggage and bags and just different accessories. Just interesting to me from the optics. And yeah. I mean, like I, I was saying, I was listening to another podcast. Um, you know, I'll just I was listening to the No Lay Up podcast, and they were over in Korea, and they were saying like, you go to like these fashion places and like PXG is like a huge part of the fashion brand over there. Right. Same with like Malbon or like, you know, Titleist has like full clothing lines or Callaway has like full clothing lines dedicated to like the Korean consumer and dedicated to the, the Asian consumer over in Japan as well. And like all of those markets. And so it's, it's very interesting how they've decided to like go this route and take this, you know, take a fashion kind of branding towards this. But from the hard goods perspective, right, they offer a lot of technology and a lot of great value. And, you know, their initial pricing is whatever they want to call it. And that's fine. But a lot of the stuff can be get can be can be had, you know, either at introductory pricing or uh, down the line for a much less expensive price point. 
because the goal, again, the goal is to kind of like get you into the brand and then hopefully, you know, you buy shirt, you buy this kind of stuff. So it's interesting positioning, but it's, again, if you get back to the equipment, I think, uh, I found the ferry was a little bit spinny in the O211. Um, now maybe that was a, a bit of a, I want to say, you know, shafts don't spin, but it's maybe a bit of a shaft choice from what he had from, as far as options were concerned. But the one thing that I thought was really fascinating from like a design and, and, and build perspective, and I didn't realize until I pulled it, I, you know, kind of, you know, I, I look at golf clubs all the time and sometimes I don't really look that close. It, you know, you think I would, but I don't always kind of like get really close all the time. They don't have a ferrule on the hybrids, fairy woods, or, I mean, the driver doesn't have a ferrule anyways. But if you actually look at the fairy woods, it looks like a ferrule. It's like a little short quarter inch ferrule, but what they've done is they've rung the top of the hosel and tapered it off like this. And then obviously coned it in to prevent like breaking and wear on the shaft. Um, but it's shiny. It's like shiny black polished. So when they, when they, they do the head finish, whatever it is, you get like the matte finish and the face finish, but then that little tiny ring around the top is like a polished metal. So when they finish it, it finishes more polished and buffed. So if you think like, you know, from a building perspective, they're not turning any ferrules on these things, shaft in, wipe with acetone, let it dry, come out, cut grip, boom, you're in a box. And you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but that saves time. That saves money. And you know, that what offers, that's kind of that little extra step that they take away, which you don't even notice as the consumer, but it, it gives them that the ability to say, okay, well, here's another, you know, five bucks off each club. And then you add extrapolate that through the set and then boom, you know, you're, you're offering a, a club at a really good price. Yeah. Anyway, another week and more PXG talk, but I, I do agree. I think bang for your buck. Well, while some might disagree, I, you know, it's tough to disagree with the number on, on that driver, 219 bucks for, for a really, a really well-made driver. For, and, and look, you can go out and you can buy last year's product from other OEMs. And what I mean by that, and like to really clarify the statement is it's new. You can go online, you can pick your loft, you can pick your shaft, you can pick, you know, a couple options of grip, I'm not saying there's like, there's a whole multitude of options, but you get to pick these, these options and build yourself a new driver. You're not stuck, you know, within like, you know, oh, I can only get this or I can only get this. And yes, there are only options within that. But from a brand new product perspective that comes with a head cover, comes in a box, gets shipped to your door, there's not a lot of options at 220 bucks. And that's why I say like for your bang for your buck, it's really hard to beat that right now, I would think. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, maybe it wasn't as hot a take as I thought after we discussed it. Maybe, it, maybe it's just, maybe it's just right. I got one more thing. I haven't tested it. Oh gosh. What what else do you have? I was gonna say, you know, you know, we, we talk about new equipment and all kinds of stuff, but you know who else has new equipment this week? We talked about it, it kind of popped up on Instagram. The Justin Rose blank irons. Oh my gosh. RB RB, if it if it's anything to do with blades, RB's all about it. Yeah, I mean we did a little bit we did a little bit of digging. What do you what do you know about these RB? So all we know is that uh, Justin and Mira have come together to build a set of irons for Justin. Um, and he's started the testing process. That's all I got with uh, our friends over at Mira. That's all I was able to get out of them. But it seems like it's kind of gone the Adam Scott route. And the thing that I always like when, I, when Gene talks about blades is, you know, you missed a little bit towards the heel. It's not too bad. You missed towards the toe. Yeah, they are kaputs. I, I do have to say, speaking of, our friends at Mira, uh, when I was doing some testing with the, the KM 700, I, I am a, a habitual toe misser. And 
that iron performed surprisingly well on the on the toe strike but that was essentially the design behind it having a little bit more discretionary weight during the forging process situated to push the cg more towards the toe as the like you just said rb the the sweet spot for the majority of our forged blades out there are going to be centered a slightly heel side and when we were doing our testing with that km 700 it was one of the the very very few blades that with my typical strike pattern and where i have a tendency to miss it still maintained a consistent consistent threshold for spin and ball speed i was really impressed with it i got to test i think a seven and a five iron uh and i really liked it i thought it was I think it's it it looks interesting, like kind of very unique sitting in the bag because of the the profile and the sole. But you know, you can't argue with results. And I think that's where if someone's looking at it, it's like it's not like symmetrical, you know, like no golf club is actually symmetrical. But if from a from a blade design, that asymmetry is actually what creates the the extra forgiveness, right? And it again, you can position mass in different ways. The center of gravity is going to be the center of gravity, but if you can pull a little bit more mass away from an area where it's, it's not beneficial and put it where it is. That's where you have a golf club that, Hey, you know, exactly to your point. If you miss in a certain spot, just like an adjustable driver. And we've tested this gene, right. When you move the, the weights around yep. or move the hosel around yep. like that leads to something that's going to benefit a player that misses in a certain direction. That's what custom fitting is all about. Yep. Yeah, of course the all, so Rosie was actually one of the very first guys to get the Rose Protos when he was at TaylorMade. So he's all about the highly customized irons. So when when RB sent me the that photo from his Instagram account, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see him. He's he he really hasn't gotten comfortable with a set of irons since he had his split from Hanma. He's kind of bounced around a little bit, but he's always been a blade guy. That's that's Justin Rose. I mean, he's one of the best ball strikers in the world. So if you got away from blades, I would be shocked, but yeah, of course they're, they're fully custom. I'm sure he saw Adam Scott's. I mean, they both, they're both at, uh, out of Albany in the Bahamas. So those guys talk Two of the best ball strikers on, in the world. I'm sure, I'm sure they're asking questions. Rosie sees Adam Scott's. He wants to know what's going on. Next thing you know, he's got his own set. I just want to see if he's going to play him. Yeah. I just, I just envisioned the conversation of these like two very wealthy, good looking guys playing golf in the Hamas and going, Hey, I like those irons. Who should I call to get a set? And they're like, Oh, you just call this guy. <laughs> they'll yeah. they'll yeah. get you. You just got to know the guy. You just got to know, know the guy. guy. Everyone's got a guy, right? You know, I, it, all the tour players have a guy. That's all the sure. tour players got a guy. So, you know, we, we got a robot guy. Everyone wants a robot. They call him. G- yeah, that's true. I know a robot guy. The RNA, Bob Parsons, everyone's got a guy. Everyone's got a robot guy. It just happens to be the same guy. <laughs> All right. Last topic for the week. I have two topics, I guess. One, did you see this, the Tiger Woods golf ball that's on the auction block right now? No. So what is that thing going a guy, for? A guy is, well, you know, collectibles are, are hot right now. And people, people are still making some decent money off of it. And a guy was able to secure Tiger Woods' first hole-in-one ball as a pro. He was at the Greater Milwaukee Open in 96. And sitting behind the 14th green when Tiger recorded an ace, 
and he and his brother-in-law are pleading with, along with a bunch of other people that were there, pleading with Tiger to, to throw the ball their way. And so he does. It bounces off his brother-in-law's hand and falls right in his lap. And so this guy for the last 26 years has had this golf ball. Not only did was it Tiger's first ball, first home one ball as a pro, but they somehow got the tournament director to get the ball to Woods, who then signed it. So it's an ace ball f- signed by Tiger at his first event as a pro. I mean, how cool is that? Wow. And so that's, now it's that's like, such, that's such a rarity that they got Tiger. I know. Exactly. The fact that he was willing to sign he got it. Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that the tournament director helped facilitate that. But yeah, so now he's, now he's selling it and he's going to split the proceeds with his, with his brother-in-law. But they're saying that the ball could go for for north of fifty thousand. God, dude. I honestly, and it's a titleist ball. Don't forget, this is back when that. when Tiger was still playing. Well, st- was still playing a titleist <clears throat> ball, still playing a professional. Sure. So I was going to say, was it a was it a titleist professional? Yep. Or is it a titleist professional? Titleist wow. professional. Yeah. The, goes, the fact goes, that it's just a signed ball, down. like he does not really sign balls. I don't think so. Like he, I don't think he does. I don't think he signs golf balls anymore. Yeah, that's no. uh, it's really cool. I mean, that's I'd never I didn't hear, but I would have I actually would have estimated more. I probably would have said about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars. But you never I know. Would have guessed, could, it could yeah, just I would have that, that's just that's just a starting point. I mean, I think I saw it was already up to twenty thousand. The auction still has has a ways to go. So, anyway, thought that was cool. The other interesting gear news, and I'm always looking for for trends out there, and I noticed that. Titleist new Pro V1X ball that RB got a chance to see in person very first week in Las Vegas. Seamus Power got the ball its first win in Bermuda. And that's not a surprise, but I always like to see how long it takes for the new stuff to, to hit the winner's circle. And the other one that's doing really well is Ping's G430. They have two wins, a T13 and a T4. Those are their best finishes for the driver. In the first four weeks since it debuted, I'll go on. I'll go out on a limb and say, I mean, we haven't seen what what the Callaway or the TaylorMade or um, you know Titleist is already out, the Shrixon drivers out. But I'll I'll go ahead and say it. I think I think G430 might be the might be the the biggest surprise of the tour season. I don't I don't think this is just the early an early year aberration. I think this driver is gonna going to be pretty special i am anxious to see the the data that gene comes up with for it i know robot Coming testing soon, starting yeah robot testing is starting was it commencing when this week right this week yep we got all the driver heads we have to we have to make sure gene is in an undisclosed location as we talk about this so we don't have any spies you know kicking <laughs> yeah. over fences or they the shrubs don't, they going, don't hey, know what's got over there it is funny though. I was talking to a guy. I don't even think I told Gene this. I was talking to a guy. Uh, man, it was months. It was months ago, and we were we were discussing golf. And I had mentioned I had been out in San Diego, and he's like, "Ah, you still live out in San Diego?" And um, I said, "Oh yeah, I was out there for for uh, some robotic testing." And I just he's like, "Oh, where were you doing it?" And I was like, "Uh, kind of like south, like South San Diego." And He's like, oh, whereabouts? Like, where do you do robotic testing? I was like, well, it's like an old driving range. And he, this guy knew the driving range. His buddy used to own it. 
Oh, really? Yeah. And he's like, I used to have balls there. And he's like, it's the one you can see from the highway. And I'm like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> nice. I was like, what a small world. That's so much for funny. the undisclosed location. Now yeah, every local say, is like, yeah. I know where robot testing's happening. Well, I've I've had I've had clients go, you know, um, should we be careful of like, you know, people looking over the fence? And I go, Man, I don't even know what the performance characteristics of this club do. It does until I get all nine points, look at all 54 shots, the totality compared against last year's models. I go, they could stand right next to the thing and watch it hit golf balls. It's really hard to, you know, kind of evaluate equipment until you get um, the entire data set and start mining it. That's when the fun happens, though, to be perfectly honest, because then you start seeing, because what your eye will see is it will see one shot. And it won't see six shots in a specific location. And it's really cool when you start looking at um, the overall data set to start, you know, looking for trends and seeing how, you know, one club, as as we've seen, you know, in 2022, some clubs performed really well on the toes. Some clubs had really minimal drop, drop off on eight points. Other clubs on the upper third were just rocket ships. And so, you know, those are the fun things to kind of pull out and see the strengths of uh, each one of the products. If you, if you notice like a drone flying relatively low and there's some weird guy in a parking lot somewhere, you know, you know, someone's <laughs> figured out exactly where you're testing. You. Yeah. Well, once again, good luck to them figuring it all out. So. This is where you go commercial and try and knock the drone out of the sky with some with some drivers and just ping them. I know, I know. That I trust yeah, me, I've been, awesome. pitching, I've, I've been pitching that for a um, for one of our uh, like less than serious videos involving the mobile robot. So I'm all for that. Or a drone holding a water balloon, you know, all like Gallagher <laughs> style and giant water balloon. See if we see if we can't get that knocked out. So. Someone dressed up in hockey gear running around your range trying not to get hit by the robot. <laughs> I do not that volunteer be, for that, by the way. I just that uh, would, that I, would, I, would, I, would I thought I heard else. you volunteer for that. No, that I'm good. would be real that, that would be really funny as well. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have RB volunteer pranks. for tumbleweed duty. Uh tumbleweeds are all gone. All gone. Oh, was that was they gave your place some charm, Gene. I know. Also, also a fire hazard. I found out <laughs> those things hurt like hell too. Oh, they're oh. nasty. They're they're na- I, nasty. I, I went out there with a the shovel to clear some of them. I got to tell you something, boys, we ended up in the right profession because that cowboying it's hard. It's really hard. Hitting those ranching things and moving them around and it, it ranching ain't easy. Yep. All right. Well, I think that will officially do it for episode 164 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want the gear news, check us out on social media. We are at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram and at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter. Thanks as always for listening.